Today is a different kind of a day. It's a state of the family address today. We take the second Sunday in January and the first Sunday in June of each year to focus on who we are as Cornerstone. Uh, in January, we look at, uh, we look at vision. We, we call it Vision Sunday. And uh, on this first Sunday of June, we, uh, we call it State of the Family, sort of like where we're at. January tends to have a very positive spin to it. June is when we sort of get real with each other, you know, and then maybe point out some things that God might be saying to us that maybe aren't all, uh, you know, uh, peaches and cream. Because, let's face it, life isn't peaches and cream, and neither are we. So today is our, our State of the Family address, and um, I'm bringing a, a large concept today. Um, we're we're going to shift some things at Cornerstone from uh, uh, an, an original direction that we were headed, particularly as far as our teaching. This has a lot to do with things that we've learned coming out of my sabbatical of two years ago. It, it has a lot to do with some of the shifts and changes in, in our body here at Cornerstone, and... Um, and it also has to do with some words that God has given us about who Cornerstone is and, um, and who she is meant to be as we move into the next season of, of being who Cornerstone uh, is called to be here in Lebanon as a local church. So, like I said, we're going to be dealing with some big, bigger concepts today um, and some bigger principles, some, some mind-bending stuff. Uh, and we're going to end our time with communion together um, and focusing on the love of Christ as we remember his, his death for us. So with that being said, I'm going to pray, and then we'll, we'll hop right into it. God, thank you, for, uh, thank you for you. You are a good God who has um, just, you just lavished love out on us and goodness out on us. And that's something that we miss a lot of times. Um, it's easy for us to live in a poverty spirit. It's easy for us to live in a victim spirit. It's easy for us to miss you. It's easy for us to mistake you. It's really easy for us to project ourselves on you instead of allowing you to fully give yourself to us. And it's really easy for us to miss your definitions. It's easy for us to not speak your language. God, we want to uh, recognize that just right up front, like we're frail, we're weak people, and we're deeply, deeply in, in need of you. We're broken people. We are, we are sinners who have been saved by grace. And we are people who, without you, like, we can do nothing. You're the vine, we're the branches, you're the potter, we're the clay. So God, I pray that you would mold us and shape us according to your will. We don't just want to be about church. And we, we sure don't want to just be busy doing stuff trying to prove to you, our Father, that we have worth. We're trying to make something happen that's outside of your will for us. We want to be where you design and call us to be. And we know that's in Lebanon. And we, we know that it's in our region. And we thank you for our land and for this place that you've put us on and in. And we thank you for uh, the calling that you've given us here. And we want to know more fully and be better defined as to what that is and how to be that in the land that you've called us and in the region that you've given to us. We want to stand as people who are united in faith and who come underneath the banner of the victory of Jesus. That without you, we can do nothing. But with you, we have full victory. Without you, we are lost. But with you, it's secure. 
You know, without you, we build our own kingdoms. But with you, we live in your kingdom where you're king of kings and you're lord of lords and you reign supreme and you're over all. And there's no question about who the victor is or who's worthy of worship or our security or, or your goodness. So God, shift us into that place in Christ where we're standing confident in you, receiving you, looking for you, moving to become who it is that you've made us to be. We bless you. We bless your name. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So like I said, today's uh, State of the Family address is, um, c- comes as, as a growth out of uh, the sabbatical experience that, um, that we walked through together two years ago. It also comes as a, a direct growth out of Cornerstone's um, decisive choice to make rest our posture. And we talked a lot about that through our time in sabbatical. We talked a lot about that in coming out of sabbatical. Um, it's been difficult for us to have rest in our spirits over the course of the last year. Cornerstone's undergone a lot of shifts. A lot of people who used to worship with us don't worship with us anymore. We talked about this last October. And there's no common reason as to what that is. We're trying to figure out what it is that God's saying. What I come with today, I think, is some reason about what it is that we're becoming. Not for why any person isn't here anymore, for why any person is. You're here today because God brought you here today. and We thank God for that. And you're part of Cornerstone because God made you part of Cornerstone. And we thank God for that. And we thank God for our brothers and sisters who worship with us and who don't worship with us and who worship according to other denominational streams of faith. And, you know, we're, we're the body of Christ together. Today we want to see what it is that God's saying to us as Cornerstone, though. And so a lot of the lessons that, and principles that I hope to bring today come out of an outgrowth of these experiences over the course of the last couple of years. I've started to say this more often over the course of the last six months, um, and some of you have uh, insightfully pursued me about it. Um, and so I'm just going to lay that whole thing open this morning. Um, what you've heard me say is I think that God brought me here to Cornerstone in order to walk us through a transition of moving from being a church plant to being a rooted church from a church plant to a rooted church. Um, I didn't know that that was the case until well into my ministry time here at Cornerstone, um, actually until, until sabbatical. But th- that is why God brought me. That's why I lead in the way that I do. That's what my purpose is in being here, moving from a church plant to a rooted church. Some of you folks have sent me emails or phone calls or caught me after the service, sort of like, um, how old is Cornerstone? We're 15. And we're not a rooted church? And then we have some kind of a conversation then at that point. And if you're one of those insightful people, you know, you can look, think back to that conversation and the grand fun that we had together. And uh, because um, what, what I hope to bring today is, is, is a concept that sort of steps outside of our typical definitions of what church is and how church works. I'm tired of cultural definitions of what church is and how church works. I don't know about you, but I am ready to get back to God's definitions of how we are supposed to think and how we are supposed to be, and what we are supposed to do. This, I think that this whole season, and I mean the season that the church is in right now, is a birthing of a return to God's definitions, of moving back to where he never intended us to move from to begin with. And so in thinking about moving from a church plant to being a rooted church, 
This says, I mean, you're not going to find anywhere in the scriptures that tells you when you stop being a church plant. Four years and 100 people, boom. You read church growth books, and they'll tell you that. Right? Four years and 100 people, you've now become a real church. Right? And hopefully more than $100,000 in budget. And you can read all kinds of books about these. I would let you read those books, but I, I threw them all away because I got really tired of it because I realized that I wasn't learning from God. I was learning from humans, and that wasn't helping me at that point. Not that I can't learn from humans, but that wasn't helpful for, for me in, in, in that walk. Today's State of the Family Address is about definition. It's about who God is calling us to be, and it's about Cornerstone moving from being a church plant to being a rooted church. Church plant concept is a mindset. A rooted church concept is a mindset. It's about how you view yourself. There are churches that have been on the American soil for hundreds of years that are still church plants, that still think of themselves according to a a plant mindset, you know, where they've just become seed in the ground. There's churches who have been on this land for a few months who understand what it means to send down roots deep and to be who it is that God made you to be. Age has nothing to do with spiritual maturity. Like, we're aware of that, right? I mean, if we're receiving God's definitions today, I mean, who does Jesus say rules in the kingdom of heaven? Children. Our spiritual maturity has very little to do with age. God doesn't look at things according to those dimensions. I mean, if we did, and that would just drive him nuts because time is sort of irrelevant, you know, to God. And while he gives it to us as a gift, we've got to think the way that he thinks when it comes to how we view ourselves, which is the key to everything. Listen, if you don't get this next statement that I'm about to put up on the screen, then you just please get it. Because if you don't, the rest of everything won't make sense. Right? If you don't understand and, and uh, on some level like walk through this teaching with me, with this basic assumption, then we're not going to be on the same page. Just see that right up front. So if at any point we aren't on the same page... You know, uh, we just need together, both you and I, to think about this statement and to make sure that we're understanding that God's perspective is reality and everything else is non-reality. God's perspective is reality. Everything else is non-reality. What God says is real is real. And it's fully real. Colossians 1 tells us that all reality is found in Christ. Not just that all reality is found in Christ, but that all reality is centered around Christ. Not just that all reality is centered around Christ, but that all reality is Christ. Which is why Jesus can make completely blatantly untruthful statements according to us. And they're real, like, blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll inherit the earth. No, they don't. Blessed are those that mourn, because they'll be comforted. But they're mourning, like you don't understand. No, we don't understand. No, we don't get it. We're the ones with the misdefinitions. We're the ones with the misreality. Sin destroys reality. Sin creates an alternative kingdom, what the scriptures would call a kingdom of darkness, that continually wants to compete with God's reality. God's view is real. Everything else is not. 
So what we're going to look at today in our time together is the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. But it's important for you to realize right up front that the book of Ephesians, it is God's perspective of his church. Book of Ephesians is God's perspective of his church. Some people call Ephesians the how-to manual of how to do church. Now, there is no how-to manual in Scripture about how to do church. In fact, if there is a how-to manual, it's 1 Corinthians. And 1 Corinthians is messed up. So the manual doesn't even work because there is no manual. Because the whole point is to live in the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, with the Spirit, and what it is that God called you to be and to do. Ephesians is not a how-to manual for how to do church. Ephesians is God's view of his church. Ephesians is God's perspective on who his church is. This is a quick, just rundown of chapters 1 through 6 in the book of Ephesians. God sees his church as initiated by him. God started this whole thing. He loved us first. God sees his church as being for Christ. We do not exist for ourselves. We do not exist for the world. The point of the church's existence is not mission. It is worship. Part of worship is mission. Right? God initiated this thing. It is for Christ. It is for him. God sees his church as dead without him. He also sees us as alive in him. Praise the Lord. We are reconciled to him. He sees us as part of his story. He sees us as rooted in his love. And he sees his church as one in him. And you can see now at this point, I've removed the word as. Because as still speaks to a, a non, uh, let me see, how do I want to say this? A non-possessing of what it is that's there, right? So yes, we are alive in Christ, but we're not completely alive yet because our bodies will die. Our spirits will live, absolutely. No doubt, right? We, we, we have that, but our bodies will die. At some point, we'll be fully alive. We'll be completely freed from this body of death. Right, so the full reality of all of these things have yet to receive their consummation. We'll receive that in Christ. But this bottom part, which is essentially chapters 4 through 6, this is now. This is here. This is real. This is who the church is. The church is gifted. God sees his church alive. God sees his church walking in love. God sees his church clean, pure, beautiful and spotless, obedient, dignified, victorious, praying, peaceful and gracious. This is the reality of the church. When Jesus looks at his bride, this is how he sees her. This is the reality. This is what's real. Jesus doesn't see some wretched orphan who needs to be cleaned up and mopped off. That's why he shed his blood. And his church is alive. She is gifted. She is glorious. She is beautiful. Which is why you and I must be very careful anytime that we speak a critical word against the church. You don't talk bad about my wife. And if you do, you're going to hear about it. And I think that Jesus has the same possessive love of his church. And are we a broken people? Absolutely. Do we get things wrong? Definitely. But in Christ, we are spotless. We are beautiful. We are alive. And we need to submit ourselves to that. 
We need to stop telling each other what to do and start telling each other who we are. Because by being who we are, we will do what we're meant to do. This is identity-based theology. Working off of another concept of theology will leave us, you know, apart. But this is who we are. This is what we are in. We are in this thing called the church, and she looks like this. This is you. You are alive. You are gifted. You are beautiful. You are glorious. You are washed. You're purified. You're victorious. You have peace. You have grace that reigns in you and on you. This is you. This is your reality. You might say, but I don't feel like that. Exactly. Exactly. Right. So why not be you? I really, I mean, I just strongly encourage you this morning to go ahead and shake that off and be you. You say, how do I do that? Ephesians tells you, chapter 4, 27 to 29, put off, take off the flesh. Be renewed in your mind. Submit to God's view. That's what it means to be renewed in your mind. And put on Christ. It's literally like changing clothes. And it's not an oversimplification. You might need to change clothes every 30 seconds. I get it. But God's reality is what's actually real. And today we're going to focus in on this concept right here, that we are his church who is rooted in his love. We are moving from a church plant to being a rooted church. This is the journey that we are stepping out on together. Go to the book of Ephesians. And I shouldn't say that we are stepping out on together, that we have stepped out on together, and that we've been walking for a while. We just didn't have a language for it. Now we do. Ephesians 3, verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Verses 14 to 21 of Ephesians 3, it works according to specific verbal phrases. Right? There are some very strong verbal phrases that Paul focuses on and that he speaks to the Ephesians about their identity in Christ and what it means for them to be them. His prayer for them comes at the end of chapter 3. Chapters 1, 2, and the beginning of chapter 3, he's completely spent his time talking about God and the work of God and who God is and God's intention for his church from before the foundation of the world, God setting himself up according to his trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, God bringing his church into relationship with all three persons of his Godness. Then Paul makes the grand point that Without any of these parts of God at all, we're completely dead in our trespasses and sins. And because we're dead in our trespasses and sins, we're completely without hope. But salvation comes to us by grace through faith, that not of ourselves. It's God's gift to us, not according to our works, so that none of us can boast before God. 
And then Paul tells the church in Ephesus that you're God's craftsmanship. Like God is molding and fitting you and putting you together. And you're being made into this beautiful art piece, this craftsman, workman, you know, pouring over this thing that's being molded and shaped into who God made it to be. And should the enemy ever come against you, well, the enemy's attacks fall null and void. Because when the enemy comes against you, you stand as God's craftsmanship. And because you're God's craftsmanship, because you're his work, because he's with you and he's in you, what that means is that you can have victory in Christ. And you can live as the person that God actually made you to be. And then he ends chapter 3, before he goes into the second section of Ephesians, chapters 4 through 6, he ends this with a prayer then, a prayer of application of everything that he's spoken about who God is and about what God says about his church in chapters 1, 2, and the beginning of chapter 3. This is his prayer. Paul applies that depth of perspective of God's reality to the church in Ephesus when he prays this prayer. And look at what he prays. I mean, there's so many things that you could pray. What do we pray for for our churches? A good question is, is do we pray? But when we do, what do we pray for? What do we ask? When Paul prays here, of all the things that he could ask, of all the things that he could seek, what, he's, what he sets his mind to in his prayer is just incredible. That according to the riches of God's glory, I mean, how rich is God? According to that much stuff, according to all that glory that God has, Paul prays that we would be strengthened with power through his spirit in inner being. See what I mean? Here's these phrases. Strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Why? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith which is why you should never, ever tell somebody to ask Jesus into their heart. Christ dwelling in your heart is an outgrowth of salvation, not a stepping into salvation. He's talking to people here that know God. He's talking to people here that are part of the church. Telling someone to ask Jesus into their heart, that's the wrong point. That's the wrong step. We can talk about what's the right step other times. I'm just making a point here that you can see here in the text. Jesus, absolutely, Jesus needs to dwell in your heart. That's an outgrowth of something, not a, not a beginning of something. Okay, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Ha, 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 Paul. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Of all the things he could pray, of all the things that he wants, of all the things that he desires, he prays for them to be focused around these four things, strengthened with power, the church is meant to be a force of power. We are meant to have strength that comes from God's power. We are meant to live as people and as a church that does so with power. We do so by being rooted and grounded in love. Now, we're to be strengthened with power. Strengthened with power connotes activity. I mean, it just straight up does. 
that you're to be strengthened with power. You are supposed to be a powerful people. You're to be a powerful church. You, you are God's powerful agents in his world. So that means that we are about something. Right? They're, they're strength and power, the, the, these, are, the, these are forces that are in motion. Right? You, don't, you don't just sit there with power. Like you're meant to use it for something. It's meant to become something. You're meant to become something. So the question is, is where does that power come from? We almost always think of power as connected to faith, right? And not with bad reason. I mean, what does Jesus say to people that want to be healed? According to your faith, be it unto you. Right? Healing is certainly power, so according to your faith, be it unto you. I don't think that's a bad jump to make. Only problem is that's not what Paul says. Paul says that we're to be strengthened with power through God's Spirit, which makes all the sense in the world when you think about Acts 1.8. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So we were strengthened with power through His Spirit by faith. Absolutely. Being rooted and grounded in love. So being rooted and grounded in love becomes the environment whereby the power that we are strengthened with is lived out. Rooted and grounded in love in order that that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. Okay, so we've got this strength and we've got this power and this power comes by faith and through the gift of the Holy Spirit and we are empowered now and that power lives in the environment of, and the bubble of God's love that we are rooted and grounded in. Why? So that we can go out those doors and we can kick the enemy's butt and we can lead in regional transformation and we can do all this stuff. Only problem is that's not what Paul says. What does Paul say to his people here? That you may be rooted and grounded in love. Why? So that you can be more loved. That blows my mind. That absolutely blows my mind. It blows my mind in two directions. Number one, I've never been taught that before. 35 years old and I haven't heard this. I've been in the church most of my life. Number two, it blows my mind from the fact that I think that God is just that big. He's just that big. God, I, I, have, I, have to, I have to remind myself this all the time. Maybe this helps you. I don't know. But it helps me, so I'll say it again. God's not worried about his kingdom. God's not worried about Satan. God doesn't fret about these things. In Christ's victory on the cross, it's done. In the resurrection... It's complete. And sin, death, and the grave are forever vanquished. And then God gives us his victory. Here's my son's victory. Here it is. And this victory is sure. It's complete. It's absolute. And Paul doesn't pray that we would be strengthened with power and rooted and grounded in God's love so that we can go out and change everything. Because Jesus already changed everything. We walk in that. How do we walk in that? We walk in that by knowing Christ. I don't know about you, but most of my life I've been told to be busier and to try harder. Get busier, try harder, work at it. You know, get it done. Don't get me wrong, I'm all about getting things done. I come from southeastern PA. But in the long run, what God actually wants is me. What he actually wants is you. And we serve as sons who are responsible, not as people who God is working his agenda through. 
Because God's agenda is done. Everything's checked off. It's finished. Christ has come. And he prays that we'd be rooted and grounded in love in order that we might know more love. And in order that we might know more love so that we can be fulfilled. Right? I mean, the word's right there. Just look at the words. You switch them around. What he's getting at here is fulfillment. He wants you to be at rest in your spirit, satisfied, content, complete, whole, shalom, Sabbath. Which is why we say rest must be our posture because it can't be anything else. This is God's intention. This is his heart for his people to be rooted and grounded in love so that the power that he strengths in us with can give us more love and we can be more fulfilled in Christ. It's just how good our God is. It's just how good he is, right? This just goes so against what we know, though. I think it, it directly runs according to uh, or counter to a church culture that we've created over the course of the last hundred years or so that says something completely different. And that leaves church operating as little seedling plants instead of oaks of righteousness, which Isaiah 61 calls us to be, who have roots that go deep and strong. And it's that that I want to talk about from a principle standpoint. I want to talk about plants versus roots. Plants versus roots. In a word, what we've said here in Ephesians chapter 3, 14 to 21, is that we've been created for intimacy. We are created for intimacy. We are created for intimacy with Christ, and that intimate love then extends into his people. That this is what God made us for. But that is so countercultural. It's not just countercultural to our church culture. It's very countercultural to just our, our culture in general, as people who live in South Central Pennsylvania. Like most Dutchy people that live around here just have no time for this. this you don't get anything done with this. You know, there, there, there's nothing to show for it on the other side, so, so, so to speak. It runs anti-cultural to our land. It runs anti-cultural to our region. It runs anti-cultural to our church, which is why I think we have such a hard, difficult time walking in it. And we must be people that learn to walk in it because God wants to transform this land. He wants to use this land as a place to birth something more, something better. I don't know that we'll ever see what that more or better is. Well, we're going to start building a foundation whereby our kids and grandkids can. Yeah? I, I mean... One of the main things we've been... Ah, I don't want to get there. Okay. So, let, let's think about this whole, like, plant versus root thing, because uh, I, I want that to get there. I, I tried to think of some, like, pop culture illustrations to help you see the difference between plant and root. So I tried to think of it from a number of different perspectives. So if you're a sports person, this one, this one might help you. Tim Duncan is rooted. LeBron James is plant. Okay? Tim Duncan is rooted. LeBron James is a plant. And not because Tim Duncan has four championships and LeBron has none, but because of the way they play their game. Right, Tim Duncan is as fundamentally basketball sound as has ever lived 
in the world of basketball. LeBron James is one of the streakiest jump shooters in all time and still can't shoot a consistent J. He can get to the lane, but God only knows what's going to happen when he gets there. And he's got the MJ blessing on him of getting to the foul line a lot. Duncan is rooted. LeBron is planned. Ford is rooted. Fiat is planned. And not just because they have stupid commercials. I know Fiat's been around for a long time in Italy. I get it, but they haven't been on this land for a long time. And when I watch this and think about this and I see these little itty-bitty cars on the road, I just wish a big old expedition would run over one. <laughs> With no one in it. No, I don't want anybody to be in it. In like Walmart parking lot. You know, that. Ford is rooted, right? Ford is, it, it, it's, it's in, it's part you know, it's like it, it's fully part of, so much so that whether or not you agree with the bailout, we at least even thought about the fact that a corporation was part of the fabric of our economy. Even to have that thought tells you something is clearly rooted. You know, fiat is not. All right. Uh, maybe you're into reading. Twilight is plant. All right. hundred years from now, nobody's going to be talking about the grand rave and vampire adult fiction, you know, at Barnes and Nobles in the early 2000s. Lord of the Rings is going to be around forever. They may as well be books 67, 68, and 69 of the Bible, you know. I don't mean it that far. It's a statement of hyperbole. I'm just trying to make a point. What else we got here? Oh, maybe, yeah, Justin Bieber is a plant. Now, don't get me wrong, the Beatles are a boy band. But they at least wrote their own songs and played their instruments, you know, so there's a level of respect there. But neither one of these two are as rooted as Beethoven, right, who was the first rock star, no doubt. If you've never listened to Beethoven's Nine Symphonies, then I don't know what you've done with your time, but you've you got to do this. Like, rock and roll comes from Beethoven. It's where it started. Elvis didn't start rock. Beethoven started rock, and he did it better than most people do it today. Moving on. Oh, no, I don't want to go. I don't want to move on. I'll see Beethoven's face up there. Thinking about it from a church concept, since we're talking about church. Churches that stay plants use programs to keep people connected. That connection comes through, through programs. Rooted churches want to connect people to Christ, not to programs. Now, I'm not saying that people that, that programs can't be used to connect people to Christ. I'm saying there's a focus, it's a mindset, it's a way of thinking. Church plants continually focus on evangelism and growth. It's evangelism and growth. Rooted churches understand that a loving church is committed to the worship of Christ, and the worship of Christ is its outreach. I challenge you to find evangelism in Acts chapter 2. You won't find it anywhere. And yet it ends with God added to his church every day those who were being saved. And the people didn't evangelize. Very interesting stuff. Plants gesture at prayer. Rooted churches have a posture of prayer. Plants want a chaplain caretaker as a pastor. Rooted churches want a shepherding leader as a pastor. Church plants 
tend to run on emotion, momentum, and milk of the word. They tend to run on emotion, momentum, and, and milk of the word. Rooted churches move from emotion to identity and from the milk of basic learning to the building of the body of Christ that is edification. It's what Peter calls in his, in, in, in his epistle, moving from milk to meat. Now, please, at all costs, do not hear me saying that being a church plant is bad and that being a rooted church is way better, that there's like a level here and a level here. Church plant, you got to do this. Like, this is where you start. In, in, in the New Testament, the purpose of evangelism is to start churches, is to plant churches. That's what you do. But God actually intends for evangelism to become love within the body of Christ so that your evangelism is your love, both to one another and to the city and region that you live in. That's what evangelism is supposed to become. But we miss it. Like, we forget about it because we forget to grow. Because we get stuck in a mindset. So building something and starting something with a need for, for momentum and for, for, for outreach, for all, absolutely, definitely. And as a rooted church... There's concepts and engagements of, of momentum and evangelism. It just looks different. It feels different. And it certainly needs to be different if we're going to be rooted and grounded in God's love. Because we're not trying to keep something going anymore. We're submitting ourselves to whatever it is that God has for us. And God has a lot of different plans for a lot of different local churches. We'll talk more about that. Church plants are church planter-centric. And appropriately so. They have to be. Absolutely. If you're going to plant a church, you're going to build that thing around you. And, and it's, it's how Paul planted churches. It's what Paul did. You go into a city, you find leaders, you disciple them around you. But you're not meant to stay there. You're not meant to stay leader-centric. Rooted churches have diversified, interconnected leadership through a web of the fivefold, of, fivefold ministry in Ephesians 4, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, and biblical church governance, which is elders and deacons. And this is where Paul always intends for his churches to get, is to living in this diversified web of gifts. Instead of a centric, strong leader, a diversified web where people are being released and equipped and leading together. They're still a leader. You know, it certainly is. And they're still leaders, always is. It just looks different, feels different. Church plants engage outreach together for the purpose of connecting people to the Sunday morning gathering and from there to other kingdom ministries, services, or outreaches of the church. Thus, on some level, church is about the Sunday morning service. Right? This is us. If you're wondering where Cornerstone fits into this, this is us. We have this mindset. Church is about Sunday morning. We have to change. Rooted churches view the Sunday morning service as a time of corporate ministry to the Lord. And real church takes place outside of the Sunday morning gathering. Where you are being the church, where you are taking the love that you are rooted and grounded in, in your faith that you're encouraged by with your community, when you take this and you live as the body of Christ, all the places that you are, with your family, in your neighborhood, at your kids' schools, with your friends, at work, all these different places. Church should not happen on Sunday morning. Ministry to the Lord should happen on Sunday morning. Church happens all the rest of the other time. The Sunday morning gathering is the break for the people of God 
to come together from all of their diversified ministry places of being the church, wherever they are, to come together for a unified ministry to God, where we come with open hands from an overflow of the Holy Spirit in our own lives, and we walk together towards something more. Cornerstone is stuck in a Sunday morning mindset. This must change. I don't mean today, but soon. All right. Church plants ask people to commit to Sunday mornings and possibly then something else. Another kingdom ministry, service, or outreach as God leads them. This is pretty typical. You can see this. The way that church works is you come to Sunday morning first, and then we encourage you as leaders to get connected to a small group or a community group or something like that. And then if you get connected to there, then we get to know you a little bit more. We know where your gifts are and what you do. And then we ask you to serve in this place or that place. And, and this is sort of how church works. I think that's old. I, I think that's done. I, that, that, that's, a, that, that's a wrong way to think about it. Rooted churches, and, and uh, before I get there, the, the reason it's a wrong way to think about it is because it devalues you as a person. It makes you an end to our means. And I shouldn't even draw that distinction because I'm one of you. It makes you an end to God's means. To where we become people to accomplish uh, a missional agenda that God has set out for us. It devalues humans to put them in that place. To just simply walk you through a place that actually makes the programs and ministry of the church run better. When in reality... We want to rewind that whole thing and think about it differently. That doesn't mean that you don't serve. It doesn't mean that you don't go to a community group. It means our mindset shifts because a church plant thinks like that. A rooted church thinks like this. Rooted churches ask people to commit to identity, which is their personal spiritual intimacy with Christ, and then to ministry, appropriate application of spiritual gifts, to stewardship, godly usage of his entrusted gifts and financial support of the work of the church, and community, bearing one another's burdens, growing to maturity together. Sunday morning gatherings are a time of celebration when all of these things, with all of these people come together for a corporate ministry to the Lord together. This is a biblically commanded time that is not to be forsaken and therefore should be a no-brainer for the Christian. But we tend to miss these things. When we look at the New Testament... And what it means to be a part of a church that's rooted and grounded in love, it's these four things that stick out. It's identity. It is service. And that means a big thing. Right? That doesn't necessarily... I mean, sure. The way, how you serve here, absolutely. Be it in the nursery or with our kids or if you serve as an usher or as a greeter, whatever it is you do. But it, we're not talking... Uh, please unpigeonhole this stuff. You, your service goes way outside of what you do here at Cornerstone. I hope that you are serving your neighbors on some level. I hope that you are serving your family. I hope that you're serving your friends. I hope that you are serving your community. Right? Service goes way outside of that. Stewardship is huge. Stewardship is huge in the, in the New Testament of what it means to be, to be people who are generous and have a spirit of generosity in their spirits that they live according to and according to the way that God tells them to as opposed to this is my money and I do with it whatever I want. Right? And then lastly, uh, I lost my place. Oh, community, yeah. Where we together bear one another's burdens and grow in maturity together, which is the whole point. Folks, I, I get so tired of hearing people say that church is full of cliques. I get so tired of people criticizing the people of the church. I just don't put up with it anymore. Two things. 
I don't let people talk bad about Lebanon. And I'm done hearing people talk bad about Cornerstone. I'm sick and tired of it. And it must stop. We are not perfect. We do not have it all together. We are broken people. And we are doing everything that we can to hear God's voice and to walk the path that he has laid out for us. So if in your spirit all you have is criticism, you don't have a problem with Cornerstone. You've got a problem with God. So work it out with him. But don't bring it here to these people. The people around you are beautiful, spotless, gifted, gracious, good, victorious brothers and sisters. And whether or not you like them has nothing to do with who you are or they are in the church. We are the people of God, and we will not be divided. Not while I'm here. So, so it, it must stop. It just absolutely must stop. I, I don't know how else to say it except that. We are a people that need together to walk toward maturity in Christ. And that means a very different journey and a very different thing for each and every single one of us because we're all uniquely made in God's image. And we're all uniquely gifted by God. Unity is about, is about embracing the diversity of the body of Christ, not becoming more like one another. Love in Christ is about embracing what is different. It's about moving toward enemies, right? Isn't that what Jesus says? You bless those who are against you, right? you? You move toward the tension. You move toward the conflict. Everything about our culture says to move away from it or to just gloss it over, you know, to just work your way through a situation through lies and deceit, self-lie and self-deception. It's not helpful. In fact, it's very, very harmful. And these four things is what we're going to be moving toward. It is deeply needful for Cornerstone to move from our church plant mindset to, our root, to a rooted church mindset. And not to build that, but to receive that. Like God has a picture for us about what that is. And we as your elders think that we're hearing God's voice and leading toward this, which is why we've completely shifted, which drives me nuts, the teaching schedule. Because I can really get into it. Like I'm already thinking about next January. You know what I mean? Like, so I'd already had this whole six months from June to December planned out in my head, and now it's all changed, which is okay because God said so. Uh, where we are not going to be going into Second Samuel starting next week, we are going to camp out on this. We are going to camp out for the next six months on what it means for Cornerstone to be a church that is rooted and grounded in the love of Christ and in walking together biblically through these things. We're going to do so starting up front with what we told you we would do back in January. In January, we instituted not, not a new but a reformed concept of, uh, of church governance here at Cornerstone. We rethought our deacon structure. We rethought our elder structure, and we uh, plugged some people in on probationary periods to see how they fit with their gifts and in teams and all these different things. And so over the course of the next four weeks, we're going to be installing formally um, through some teaching and through the laying on of hands and blessing and anointing um, our deacons and elders here at Cornerstone. That's the next four weeks. 
And then we are going to launch in July into uh, some deep teachings from God's Word about moving to be a church that is rooted and grounded in love for who Cornerstone is. This is going to be very specific toward us. We'll talk theologically. We'll talk ecclesiologically. We'll talk universal church. We believe all that. You folks know that. But this is about Cornerstone becoming who Cornerstone is meant to be and walking toward a, a, uh, a fuller picture of what and who God has designed for us to be. And as we do that, I believe God's going to be gracious to us and is going to show us what it means for us to more fully possess the birthright that he has for us of his goodness and love. Four assumptions. Four assumptions and or statements that we'll be walking through the next six months together with. You cannot love the head and hate the body. You cannot love the head and hate the body. You hear people say this sometimes. I love Jesus, I just hate the church. And you don't love Jesus. Because the body of Christ, as broken and messed up as she might be, is actually him. And when you criticize the body, you criticize Christ. Because it's his body. You cannot love the head and hate the body. Augustine said it great. The church is a whore, but she's still my mother. And, and we must remember that. Right? To, to love Christ is to love the church. We are deeply needful as the American church of God's touch. I believe we are under the gracious judgment of God whereby he is walking us towards something new and better. And it is our job to build a foundation for that so that our kids, grandkids, great-grandkids can actually find out what that means. We get to endure this, and that's a privilege. So we need to receive it as who Christ is. The church is a means to an end. It is not the end. The church is a means. This church does not exist for you to be happy, more fulfilled. We hope that you find your happiness, fulfillment, and joy in Christ. And we will walk with you toward him. And however it is that God leads us to do that. But this church does not exist for your end. The church is a means to an end. And that end is not even mission. That end is the greater glory and worship of God in our world by all people, all nations, all tribes, everywhere around the world because he's worthy, period. That's it. So there is no time when we're done. You know, there is no time when we're not becoming more rooted and grounded in God's love. There is no time when God doesn't have more depth of goodness for us to stand in and be in so that his gospel can flow more fully through us. We will at all costs have Christ at our center. We will at all costs have Christ at our center. Lastly, we will not be driven by consumerism or numbers. And I say this not as a defensive statement. I say this because these two things, consumerism and numbers, have over the last hundred years become what it is that has defined the American church. And we will not be defined by them. That's not to say that we're not on some level subconsciously defined by them because it's what we've been taught. It's certainly what I've been taught. I've been pastoring a shrinking church over the last year. I'm the biggest failure in the world, according to church growth books. You know, here I am. <laughs> so be it. Except that that's not God's standard. That's not what God says, and it's not what God does. 
And therefore, it's not what we're going to say, and it's not what we're going to do. We will not be driven by these two things that the enemy has used to insert into the culture of the church to cripple it and to bring the gracious judgment of God upon us. We do not exist for our people to consume anything other than Christ. John chapter 6. And numbers has just become the big lie. That honestly, I probably struggle with here more than anybody else. I mean, I don't know. I haven't heard any of you folks freaking out. Trust me, I've been freaking out. Because, you know, you're taught this is what a successful pastor is. And, try, and I hate failure. I hate losing. What God's been teaching me since sabbatical is that sometimes you've got to lose in order to win. I still don't actually know what that means, but it sounds good coming out of my mouth. And I said it, so it's at least in there some. You know what I mean? Like, I'm on a ser- serious sanctification process here with this losing and winning thing. I'm totally cool with Jesus losing in order to win. You know what I mean? I'm totally cool with Jesus saying to his Father, not my will, but yours be done, and, and literally losing. He, he, he lost everything. He lost his connection to his dad. He lost his followers. He lost his life. But this is the kingdom, right? And the kingdom is also a place where resurrection is a reality. Because Jesus lost, and by losing, he won. So much so that the scriptures tell us that the cross of Christ actually is the power of God. That the powerlessness of our God is his power. That that the, the decisive choice for Jesus to lay down his rights is the power of salvation. And it's that that we stand in. And it's his love that we walk in. And that we are going to seek more deeply to root and to ground ourselves in for his glory and for his purposes. So, that is what God is saying to us. That is where God is leading us. I hope that God uses this in your life to lead you more deeply into an intimate, connected relationship with Christ that gives you the deepest spirit fulfillment that you have ever known. Because that is Paul's prayer for us, which means that that is the Holy Spirit's prayer for us. And we get the opportunity right now to actually step into a reflection of that, right? A remembrance of that, of the deep, deep love of Christ. We're going to take communion together. It's important when it comes to communion to remember what it is that we're actually doing here. This is not just another exercise in what the church does. This is, this is a time when we remember the blood and the body of Christ that is the deepest symbol of God's love for us. We step into now what I I think is the deepest, most beautiful picture that the church can know for what it does mean to be rooted and grounded in love. This sacrament, this ordinance of the church, screams, I love you. Which is why it's so important when we come to the table to do so clean. We do so clean, we do so as with a right relationship with God and a right relationship with others, not because God will shame us on the flip side, 
but rather so that God can fully deliver to us the love that he desires to give us in this remembrance of his death. And by not taking it lightly, we understand more fully what it is that Jesus experienced when he died for us. And when we understand that, we become people who are more fully rooted and grounded in his love. So let's pray together, and then we will enter into our time of communion. God, we bless you, and we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your words to us. We thank you for your, um, your deep, deep, deep love. God, you're so good. You're so good to us. And Paul says it just perfectly, that we would know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. That you would know that which you cannot ever fully know. So God, as we walk into and through this time of remembering communion, remembering um, your death, remembering the blood that was spilled and your body that was broken, God, I pray that you would free us from our entrapments, free us from our burdens, wash us clean of our sin, walk us into your presence, as we worship and remember you during this time together. We are your body. Thank you for your body that was broken. Thank you for your blood that was spilled. We love you, God. Amen. I just want to pray Paul's prayer over you for our benediction. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on or and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.